Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road, and it is raining, thank God. We definitely need the rain, and it's been raining the past uh, on and off showers the past couple of days. The other day, we got uh, just shy of nine-tenths, I think, 0.89. It was on the weather station, and today it's 0.69, right? So as I just started to record... So that is good, and we got a little bit more the day before. So we definitely needed, like so many parts of the country do. And uh, so, you know, it, it's it's funny when you're a farmer, right? And we're never satisfied, right? So we want the good Lord to give us the rain when we want the rain. We want it dry when we want it dry. We want it sunny when we want it sunny. We want it cloudy when we want it cloudy. We wanted windy when we wanted windy. Don't put the wind now. No, no, no. So, uh, but that is the faith of a farmer where we have to learn to give that over to the Lord. And that's a wonderful lesson for other aspects of our life. And I have to honestly say, and I mean this sincerely, that those that are not involved with agriculture, and it's certainly not your fault that you aren't. Everybody can't be. But I, from my way of thinking, from my perspective, which is probably rowing completely against the tide or the river of life today, is that years ago, people had an association uh, with agriculture, even at a minimal level. And even if they had a a garden or a big garden or they had a a cow that they would milk or some chickens for eggs, and that may not have been their vocation, but they had, I guess, what they used to call substance or, or sustainable. I, I shouldn't say substance, whatever. They used to farm so they could eat. Right? So they may have worked in a coal mine or they may have done something else, but they also had had some agricultural, some agrarian things going on so they could eat. And that was a, that's a wonderful lesson for life. It's something that if you... Uh, acknowledge it and see it and recognize it that it's going to be a from my way of thinking so like i said i row against the tide um, that it is a wonderful foundation for you to have the vision to look at life that way so but you could choose to disagree with me but i want to thank you once again for tuning in uh to idle chatter and uh spending some time with me i got a couple of things that i need to go over here as as always the first thing i want to do and uh is i want to address a a a letter excuse me that i got from a listener out in utah delta utah and i hope to have him on the show he uh i asked him and he didn't uh he's been uh holding back a little bit oh talking about being on the on the road show i finally got well, I shouldn't say finally, it wasn't that long, a couple of weeks, but I, I, I invested in a very, very, very good, excellent, I should say close to excellent brand headset with a microphone. And what I'm going to do, and I may have told you this, is that I learned a while back, I did this, I did the on the road episode with Scott Shelley, uh, the cow guy, great guy and actually. I pray for him and his mother every day, but I'll just leave it at that. And uh, he, the phone connection wasn't good, all right? So, 
and it wasn't really the phone it was the it wasn't the connection it was the phone i, I kind of gleaned that afterwards and it was very garbly and the show did very very well i don't go look at the metrics for it or whatever but uh it did very very well and uh was very well received and a couple a couple of listeners have even told me that that his story was so interesting that they didn't even pay attention to the audio quality and the audio quality wasn't terrible but it wasn't what i hoped it would be and then uh so i learned from that and that's you know that's what i always like to do learn from my mistakes you know if i broke the bolt the first time i don't want to go back and break the bolt the second time so i studied it and i was saying it's the phone connection it's really not the cell phone connection what it is is it's a cheap microphone and the cheap speaker or in this particular instance the microphone it's on a two thousand dollar smartphone a fifteen hundred dollar smartphone so i went on a quest to try to cure that to solve that and i said geez i want to get a good headset and then what i will do is that somebody who's going to be on the show let's say like uh well, well, well i won't use anybody's name all right so the thing is that what i will do is i will send them this headset it's a road headset with a with a road microphone attached to it and they could use that for when they talk to me through there if they're using their smartphone and i bought the adapter i i you know i believe in i'm not buying investing i invested in in the adapter for an apple phone which that's what seems to be a lot of people have and uh i will send the person the headset mail it to them and then i will we'll do the show and this way we'll have the best audio quality we possibly have in theory right famous list words that ain't gonna fall off the back of the truck boom right the best quality we should have audio quality and then the person could send the headset back to me in the same box i sent it to him so it'll cost the person a couple of dollars for for shipping back and i mean not bad i'm not going to charge a person to ship it to him obviously but back to me and then even uh, then i'll say hey you know if you don't send me back my 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 expensive headset i will not post your show but i don't believe i'm gonna have to do that with anybody so i, I finally got that that just came yesterday and uh i now i have an android phone i'm not into this stuff but it's not an apple phone it's a motorola and it's an android phone supposedly well, that's what it says when you turn it on. So they had no connection. I bought the stuff from Sweetwater. They had no connection for the Android phone, but they had for the Apple. I said, all right, well, I'll figure, I'll figure it out here. Go to town or Radio Shack or someplace and see how I could connect it. But, the, but you know, this is coming full circle. I'm telling you this for a reason. And then I'm going to tell you that for a reason. And I'm going to tell you also, read this letter to you. So it all comes together, right? Like a beef stew in a pot so i i get the headset was on back order it comes road i have all road equipment and it is uh, an australian company and they make very very uh, good high quality equipment is it the best out there no excuse me but i'm not going to spend five thousand dollars for a microphone i'm not a singer right but is it better than 99 percent of the people doing podcasts have yes all right so it's 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 like i say it's a very it's a i would say it was that it would be a cadillac not a not a rolls royce not that i think a rolls royce is better than a cadillac but in the price class or the prestige class so anyway i get this headset 
and I uh, plug it into my Android phone. But they it came with a cable, a TTTS, whatever they call a cable, and it went into the phone, so the phone didn't short out. So I said, oh, let me try it. And it works. It works very, very well. I called a couple of people, called my friend Gene, my friend Jason, who isn't here back yet, I called my wife. And the, the audio quality is supposed to be very, very good to excellent. <clears throat> so hopefully that would transmit or translate into being the same thing when I wrote run it through my my soundboard but what i did notice that i didn't notice right away is that i cannot hear myself talking so like right now i'm talking into a rode microphone and i have actually a panasonic studio headset on and i could hear myself talking and i could adjust the volume of my talking so it's coming through my headset and when i have somebody doing an on the road show same thing i have them coming into my soundboard they could hear me talking and i could hear myself talking to them and it's just very normal but with this headset that i have i just purchased i cannot hear myself talking so it's 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 not coming through the headset i mean i could hear myself around the insulation talking so it's it's muted and uh, <clears throat> but i can't hear myself so now because i have no idea what i'm doing i do not know what <laughs> i have something set wrong on my phone is i have no idea because i don't know what i'm doing so what happened was that i went on a quest you know first today you do an internet search right well that gave you absolutely nothing road was closed for because it was saturday and wrote, i got it friday and but i didn't pursue it until saturday <coughs> excuse me <coughs> so i called sweetwater who is excellent i love them they're great people uh, my salesman was not in but i spoke to their technical representatives three different technical representatives and i got two different answers well two of them agreed that you're not supposed to hear yourself in the headset and the third one says you're supposed to hear yourself in the headset so who the heck knows so that's what i'm talking about that nobody knows and i'm not saying this condescendingly or complaining there's so much and i hate you know i hate the word technology out there there's so many things today that 95 percent of the people don't know uh the question that you're asking them and you would tend to think that in a that it would be yes you're supposed to hear yourself in the headset or you're not supposed to hear yourself or maybe you're supposed to hear yourself so who knows but it appears from what i could glean that maybe when i send it to somebody with an apple phone they may be able to i don't, I don't know but it's it's i'm excited about it so uh and i'm gonna be doing so so some of you guys out there that i've spoken to about being on the road i will be getting together with you and i'll sending you that headset and then i'll ask you to do a a, a dry run with your phone and if it all works good and there's no problems then we could start the schedule putting you on the road or actually it's on the road right it's on the road with me so i don't know if you want to be that so <clears throat> as i said this has a segue as a segue into this letter so if on last week's episode if you happen to catch that is that mr allen I, i'm pronounced i'm with dyke or Di, i think it was dyke though I, don't, I didn't print his name back out again uh, he asked me about <clears throat> brakes on a bull pinion shaft on a farm tractor instead of on a act the end of the axle on a drum on the end of the axle like a car or truck would have and i gave him my explanation which was a basically uh basically a professional way i don't want to say that because it sounds like i'm a, I'm a, a phony 
I don't know why some did it and why some did not. I could postulate, I could, I could, I could make a convincing argument why some did or why some did not, and that's what I really gave Mister. I'll call him Alan, right? Gave Alan, and um, that's it. I mean, what, what am I going? I don't know. I mean, we're talking about stuff of the fifty, sixty years ago, and uh, I wasn't around then, nor. You know, and that got that got to be also with that sh- with that episode with the lore, right? I mean, what what was real and what was lore? Who knows? All right, but I don't I don't know that, and I was not privy to it. But I gave him my thoughts, engineering wise, and that is it. But now I have an, another listener that I hope to be, as I said, on the road, and Mister John Nye, and he's farming dairy farming out in in Utah, originally from Connecticut. So he wrote me a very nice note, and I want to share this with the audience. And I hope that Mister and I actually I actually forwarded his email to Alan because I don't know whether he listens to excuse me listens to the show or not, or just goes to the website. Who knows? <clears throat> anyway, so this is what John Nye, Mister Nye, wrote, and I, I and you know, and I'm going to just stop for a second. I'm going to say I love. I love this show. I love this show, right? It's my show. I should love it, right? Not necessarily, but I'm, you know, remember the TV show, The A-Team, and the guy who played, uh, well, George Pippard played, uh, I think, Hannibal Smith or whatever his name was, and he used to say at the end, I love when a plan comes together. Well, that's what I'm going to say. I love when a plan comes together because this show, Idle Chatter, Farm Machinery, Digest Radio, on my website, is meant to be an a transfer of knowledge, but a transfer goes both ways. So it's meant to be an intellectual exchange. So you have to transfer knowledge both ways. I do not know everything in the world. I mean, there's not, there's more stuff that I do not know than I know. And that's why I so welcome and over the years, I've had a number of listeners and, and you know, shines, shine light on things or give me a, a better explanation than I had that I that I provided or <clears throat> what have you or, or explained something to me that I didn't even know. All right, so uh, like I said, believe me, everybody in this audience knows things that the that I don't know and that others don't know, and that's why I get so excited. You know, when a plan comes together, and Mister Nye, basically, if I was Hannibal Smith on <clears throat> the A Team, I'd say I would say I'm so excited when a plan comes together. So what he did is he wrote me a letter about brakes on a bull pinion shaft. And I will share that with all of you because it's very enlightening. So he goes, hello, Ray, Ford tractors, 9N, which I have, 8N, etc., had outboard brakes, and I never saw or owned one that would stop decently. I, st- I, I, <clears throat> I had and still have a bunch of bull gear brake tractors as well. I asked my dad about that when I was a kid. He, meaning his dad, and I believe that he said it, told me his, his dad's name subsequently was Jeff, so hopefully I don't have that wrong. Uh, his dad had, he had a Minneapolis, Mose, Minneapolis Moline dealer in Rhode Island and was in the custom harvest business. The dealership is still in business, incidentally, Rhode Island Harvesting Company. Well, that's, uh, that's great. I have to look that up. Dad told me that by putting them Putting the brakes, that means on the bull gears, the brakes could be smaller because the drum was spinning faster. Because the drum was spinning faster, they had more leverage, gear reduction, and acted more like automotive brakes and would actually stop you. 
just just lore from the past i don't know if this sounds credible to an actual engineer have a good evening kind sir john knight well i want to thank you so much mr knight because you definitely provided a better explanation to alan's dilemma of understanding why than i did so i want to thank you for that so his dad which i believe is jeff nye was saying it's because of it could stop better there because of uh its placement uh i don't like i said i'm not going to deny that whatsoever and uh we will see but i wanted to share that with you and i wanted to share that with everybody and i want to thank thank you for for contacting me and for sharing the wisdom that your dad had passed on to you when you were a young boy and that is so so important to be able to have that transfer of knowledge and transfer of everything from one generation to another so i thank you for that and hopefully this sheds some more light on it and uh better than i did all right so that is that another quick thing boy 17 minutes into the show i look at that soundboard uh hopefully you guys didn't click off by now remember i told you last week my john deere tractor the battery broke in it and uh i cut the grass by the house one thing or cut by the cornfield was dead had three volts in it well anyway and then i got it i i got it started off the battery charger and uh, excuse me and she fired right up and i was going down the road cat swamp road to go cut along the cornfield and it was running off the alternator so i knew that that would be fine if i didn't shut it off right or if i didn't stall that's kind of hard to stall stall one of those tractors but anyway so i said to i said to my wife charlotte i said let me go cut by the cornfield and then i'll put the tractor in the put it away i store it in a seat container and then i'll get a battery for it and whatever later in the week and so i'm going down cat swamp road it's running like a top right uh, the battery is broken inside but it's running like a top off the alternator and uh and why it's important to say it's running like a top i mean i don't hear it popping or doing anything like there's a voltage problem and all of a sudden brr, it shuts right off so i said that's unusual because it was running beautifully and they said that same sounds almost like a electrical <clears throat> but it should be running off the alternator because at this particular point uh i mean i confirmed that it was not that it was not the uh, uh the alternator because when i started with the um, battery charger on the boost mode i put my trusty multimeter across the alt across the battery terminals and the alternator was putting out on on full throttle 16.2 volts which was good but i thought it was a little bit high it probably should have been maybe a, a volt to a, a half a volt to a volt lower than that but i thought that was a little bit high and it struck me that stuff strikes you say, eh, it don't look right you know like you, you cock your head my dog sparky used to do that when he used to see something it was a border collie mix it sort of <laughs> didn't make sense to me go eh, and he would stick his tongue out a little bit of a side of his mouth but anyway i thought that was a little bit high but i said to myself all right fine it's running fine let me go cut the grass there'll be about 15 20 minutes along one part of that cornfield by the highway and then i'll put it away and be done with it right so it conks out and obviously because the battery's broken side i can't start it to crank it to see what's going on and so the first so it struck me as odd as i said i said to my wife i don't think i don't know she doesn't know anything about anything so she just nods ahead and and, and appeases me but uh 
So I got the bat. I went to John. You know, I was going to get a John Deere battery, but then I ended up getting a Deca battery, which I think makes the John Deere batteries, and put it in there and started right up. Boom! I mean, I shouldn't say started right up. Cranked, it won't start. So, make a long story short, without belaboring this for an hour, is that they have a fuel shutoff solenoid in the bottom of the bowl of the carburetor, and it seems that that solenoid burned open because I have 12 volts in ground going to it. So when you turn the key on, the solenoid energizes as a pin in it and allows fuel to go into the main metering circuit and from the float bowl. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so what happened, and it acted like that because it acted like something electrical because it would run out of gas. It would go, bloom, 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 bloom. It would go boom like that, like you shut the key off. Well, if you shut the fuel off to the main metering circuit, immediately there's maybe a couple of cc's of fuel there. It's going to shut right off. And they call it also an anti-backfiring solenoid. So what happens is that it's, 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 I, uh, it's, burned open it's got infinite resistance across the solenoid it's got 12 volts and it got ground to it because i checked it with the voltmeter and checked the ground so remember always check you check your power supply with an independent ground uh a dedicated ground and then always check your voltage supply going into that ground so i have both ends of the voltmeter so one in the voltage and one in the ground to make sure because you could if you just check it with voltage you could have a bad ground so the question basically is is that is it coincidental or did my 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 zeal to cut my grass along the highway uh and the what I what I gleaned or felt the alternator was overcharging in that particular instance because the battery was completely open. Um, did that burn out the 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 uh, the, the solenoid? Well, who knows, right? I mean, the only way I'd, I mean I really you, you can't tell, but that's something you know. That's that one of those things where is it coincidence or did? did the overcharging or i perceived is overcharging i'm going to confirm that once i get it going and i i ordered the solenoid a little little solenoid 90 dollars, 92 dollars, unbelievable so anyway we will see and i will let you know so that is basically that and then uh, uh i know a lot of you oh, i shouldn't say a lot of you a number of you also read me in hemi's muscle machines and I got a letter the other day from Hemmings, and I'm not going to say that it was a nasty letter, but I would say it was harsh or abrasive, and uh, from a from a reader, and he didn't like the advice I gave somebody, and that's certainly his prerogative. And you know, when somebody is harsh or abrasive to you, it tells you something. There's, as I've said before, is that on this show there's usually some semblance of truth in it i mean it may not be as as much truth as they're making it out to be but you know you know it's like a cop stops says, you're going over the speed limit well the speed limit is 65 and you're going 66 you're officially going over the speed limit all right usually it's not enough to get your ticket so there's some semblance of truth in it and i honestly don't remember the full context of the letter i kind of basically remembered it was an older gentleman who was near 80 years old not the one who wrote the complaint to me uh 80 years old and he he said that he had a career at the ac delco spark plug factory in michigan which is wonderful i mean that that's great but that doesn't mean because you worked in a spark and i'm saying this respectfully right so no nasty letters because you worked in a spark plug factory that doesn't mean that you know how to build an engine 
well, <laughs> doing anything. I mean, it means absolutely. It means it means you worked in a spark plug factory. God bless you. You had a nice job, and you were blessed with a nice career. That's all that means to me. It doesn't mean anything else, as far as your automotive knowledge is concerned. And I guess he wanted to put a Cadillac motor in something, an older Cadillac V8 in something. I think it was a 472, if I remember correctly. And um, he wanted to put a manual transmission in it. And he wanted me. And, uh, and, and, and usually when people write those letters, they're all over the map with it. And I'm saying it respectfully. I mean, they say one thing, well, we want to, I want to do this, but I'm 80 years old, I can't do that. And look, I'm a, I'm a technical advice column. That's all I am. And, as a, and I'm not defending myself because this person said I was too harsh to him and <clears throat> too harsh to this reader who wrote me the letter. And I just stopped short of telling him that he should just forget about it and get a walker, <laughs> invest in a walker. And I did not say that. And maybe I gave that impression. Basically, in essence, what I said to the gentleman is, and you know, a lot of people write to me and they just don't want to do their own research. So this person who wrote the abrasive letter, so you should be able, you should do some research. Um, that's not my job to do research. My job is to do technical. So I'm not, it's not my job to look around where you could get an alternator for something or a, or a clutch disc for a 42 Ford. I mean, I, what am I going to do? I'm going to look on the internet like you would. So anyway, like I said, I'm not defending myself because there's always some truth in it. All right, but I am a straight shooter. You guys know from listening to the show. I don't candy cake coat things. I'm not. I don't. I don't hope to be abrasive, and I hope. To, I hope to not be this. Not to. I don't want to disrespect anyone. But lots of times, people people are writing. First of all, if you knew how to do this, you wouldn't be writing to me. Okay. I mean, really. <clears throat> in all honesty, if you knew how to do this, or you knew where to get these parts, you wouldn't be writing to me. So obviously, you you kind of have some self-doubts when you're writing to me and asking me these things and always want me to go and give you, oh, yes, yes, I agree with you. That's a wonderful idea. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to uh, put the dragster on for a minute and kill this microphone. All righty, I'm back. I, I, I hit the wrong button, so I actually stopped the recording. And then uh, Sue is going to have to ask Sue to put these two together if she can. So that is, I think it was about 25 minutes into it already. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. But so if you knew how to do this, you wouldn't be asking me. And then also I look at it realistically. If a person is 80 something years old, they want to get this car going. I'm going to give them my best advice. I said to them, look, why don't you just put an automatic in it? Because it's it's not that you cannot put a manual transmission in the Cadillac and uh, uh, to a Cadillac engine. But how much effort do you want to do with this? How much effort do you want to put together with this? Do you mean how much how much time? And you know, lots of times these things are not that easy as they first appear. It sounds great on paper. I'm gonna put a five speed in, I'm gonna do this, and we'll put a Cadillac motor in here and what have you. And like I say, it's it's uh if you want to do that and you want to put the time and the effort into it, that is a hundred percent fine. But if you're telling me in one one aspect that you're eighty something years old, you know how long. Then I think if you put an automatic in the in the, the car you're building, you're still going to have enough obstacles putting a Cadillac engine in a different body for, style, and uh, you have a much better chance of enjoying the car driving it instead of having it up on jack stands for three years trying to figure out how to put a Cadillac 
uh, manual transmission to a Cadillac engine, all right, and making an adapter, so whatever. So I just wanted to uh, to share that with you, all right, but I'm going to also use that as a segue because what we're going to talk about today is the idea of understanding engine calibrations. And I've spoken about this before, but a lot of people... Well, I said over, over over the course of the year, people reach out to me and they contact me, and I'm going to give you the dirty little secret for aftermarket engine calibrations. And you're not going to hear this from anybody but me, and I'm not bragging, but they're not going to tell you that. And you know, when when I was building engines, uh, you'd have other guys building engines, and you'd be vying for the same customer. I don't care what business it is, you have competition. Just like in podcasts, you can listen to my show, you can listen to somebody else's show, right? I mean, you have to build a better mousetrap, and hopefully the people come to you. But <clears throat> that is, you know, so that that's business, right? You're going to buy an F-150, you're going to buy a Silverado. That's competition. Competition also is good because it goes and it... Uh, it has you raise your bar, right? Because if there was no competition, you say, hey, take it or leave it. So anyway, but when when you're talking with engine if engine builders or people building engines, and I'm talking about hot rod stuff here, but it's going to come into other things, is that 90, I, I don't know what the numbers, I shouldn't say nine. They, so many of them claim, oh, this is my camshaft. I designed this camshaft. You can't go down the street to the other guy and get this camshaft. Now, the fact of the matter is that could be a partial truth in it. But they have the customers coming, the potential customers coming by going, oh, wow, he designed the camshaft. I got that camshaft, special camshaft, special camshaft, you know? And the thing is that, let me put it this way. You know the education and this is not being derogatory to anybody because you could have the education but having the education and then applying it and having the experience is two different things a camshaft profiles a polynomial curve the thing basically is is that for you to design that's your that's my camshaft design i design that camshaft that's why you buy my motor a special camshaft all right for you to design a camshaft it takes that that's that's basically like saying i'll make an agrarian i'll make a simple agrarian uh analogy i farm fifty thousand acres and i do it all by myself totally totally impossible and when you're when you're doing something and like designing a camshaft there are so many skill sets that are required to design a camshaft and and i'm not saying that no one can to do it right but so many skill sets that are required that is almost in for all intents and purposes it is impossible for you to design your own camshaft now what you could basically do is you could go to a cam company like comcam and say you got part number blah 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 what I would like for you to do is give me uh, a hundred thousandths more lift, low lift on it. It's 350, 350 thousandths, make it 450. I'd like to have uh, 10 degrees more intake duration and five degrees more exhaust duration. And, in le- and instead of having it on a 112 degree lobe separation angle i want on 114 degrees separation angle and to a certain extent you could do that but then what they're going to have to do is their engineer the 
a cam grinder, the person who's operating the machine. He's not going to design it, all right? They're going to have to go, and lots of times it doesn't come out exactly as you want it anyway, all right, because they'll say my chair is creaking. I have the uh, other the creaky chair because F-A-I-T-H is sleeping in my other one. So what's going to happen is that... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's is it to your specifications? No, you tweaked it. So if I go and get pizza, if I go to a pizza place with my wife and I put uh, <clears throat> red pepper on it and oregano and she puts just uh, whatever, she puts grated cheese on it. All right, that's my pizza. I made the pizza. No, you didn't make the pizza. You seasoned it the way you want it. And the same, <clears throat> and the same thing happens. And there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, pardon my French, bs with this stuff and they use it to bs the people all right that that there's that there's something yeah i mean that could be the the, the grind that they have made for them. i'm not going to deny that so it's like going to some place and having a well this is my tomato sauce and uh but whatever but there's a lot of there's a lot to be said that needs to be done for you to be able to design a camshaft and it's not that easy i would never i'll be the first one to tell you i couldn't wouldn't even know where to start and that is basically that all right, so now in the <clears throat> in the arena of engine management systems and uh, calibrations and uh, people putting tuners in cars, or you go to people and uh, certain people, and they'll go and say, "Well, I, you know, I cracked the code of the ECU, and it's my calibration. I cracked the code." And I'll tell you one thing: I'm not going to say that there's no one in the world that cra- that can't crack a code. I'm not going to say that because people hack into bank systems and what have you but what i do want to explain to you and i'll give you a little bit of backstory that first of all i would say out of everybody who says that they hacked into the factory ecu that's running a john deere tractor or a or a a porsche or a corvette or what have you is lying (laughs) in simple english the majority of people if not all of them are lying and it's like the guy saying i designed the camshaft well first of all number one is that you may be somebody i and then again i would not know where to start with this i just pressed the wrong button on my roadcaster so uh so you would not know where to start <clears throat> and the thing is that would you know hacking into the firmware hacking into the i guess you would say it's the firmware is, is probably akin to like saying well i broke into the bank so you physically broke the front door down and you are standing in the bank I bro- but it's a whole different story to say i broke into the bank and i broke into the vault into the safe right so so these people who claim that they're breaking into these this software and they're they're doing this they're breaking into the factory ecu are really not and if they are doing that once you got in there you got to break into the to the safe then the safe is where the magic is all right and the thing is that it is for all intents and purposes impossible impossible because even if you did break into the safe all right where is the code not breaking into the ECU, breaking into the code, is that you have to identify what tables or what, where they are, because when you look at this, it's a bunch of numbers and data. You have no idea what you're looking at, all right? So you're probably saying, oh, you're full of it, Hot Rod, because I know people who did it. Well, the thing is that you know people that are doing calibrations, 
and rightfully so, in no disrespect to them, they're doing calibrations, but I will tell you a story, and this is a true story, and some of the names will be changed to protect the innocent. Back many years ago, in the era, in the late 80s, Pontiac came out with the V6 Fiero, I think around 87, 86 or 87, and shortly thereafter, around the same time, there was a company, excuse me, that came out, I won't use their name, but it starts with an H, and they were selling chips for, which was the prom program for, for GM cars, and the first car they came out with was a Fiero calibration, and they came out with it, they did it for the tune ports, the Camaro, the Firebird, but they started with the Fiero. Well, I was very blessed to know this gentleman, we never physically met, and I will not use his name, all right, and he was a calibration engineer for General Motors. Now, they now on a calibr as a calibration engineer, they back then they designed those ECUs in house. That were, it, 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 so he had the true code, and what he did was one of this is, and you're not going to hear this story anyway because no one knows the story except you guys now. And there was a, another engineer in in the group, but he was not a calibration engineer. He was something else on the Fiero, and he bought a V6 Fiero, and he said to this guy, I'll call him Joe, but that was not his name. Joe, is there anything we could do to make this thing, you know, a little bit? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I did that calibration. I know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And then <clears throat> what had happened was that <clears throat> Joe... <clears throat> excuse me joe i'm gonna try, I'll try not to press the wrong button again joe went and he he said yeah i'll burn a chip for you put in there i was fantastic and then what had happened was that somehow this company with an h name with an h name starts with an h because i don't know if they're still in business so i don't want to get into any legal problems they somehow got a hold of this other engineer's calibration that that joe did all right that joe did somebody and they copied that calibration they put it on a on a prom reader and they downloaded it and somehow i mean they did that, that all that stuff was available and they copied it and that's why they went into business with a with the fiero calibration so it was the guy from gm's calibration all right and then what they basically did so i will tell you without any any reservation that when you buy a tuner when you buy something for that that code those all of that information to do that calibration was stolen from the manu was i'll say backdoored from the manufacturer you may have they may have had a body there and i don't care whether it was ford whether it was chrysler whether it was general motors or whatever that you may and i'm going to get to the imports in a minute that you may have had a buddy they say oh yeah i'll give you the code and this and that and i know a couple of people wanted to give me code and they said look i'm not going to do anything with it. i don't want it don't risk your job for that oh no no this is last year's code don't worry about it it's good up with the xyz don't worry nobody's going to care all right and and a, and a friend of mine who was an airflow engineer for chrysler and actually on his side designed the first 24 valve cummings head and he did their nascar program he did the neon four valve neon program but anyway whatever real good guy his name will not be mentioned either 
and <clears throat> there was a a very no, very well known Corvette tuning shop in Indiana, and that person actually died in a drag racing accident, and uh, I will not use his name either. And he contacted my friend, and my friend told me the story, and he he had him come down from Michigan to Indiana to show him his shop, which. When you're working for Chrysler in the research center, there's nobody's hot rod <laughs> engine shop is going to impress you. So my friend was not really impressed by it, but he asked him because he, my friend was working on the Viper program, what it would cost him to get for him to backdoor the Viper code, uh, the addresses, everything in there. I won't even use all the proper terms to go for him to do Viper calibrations. So my friend, upstanding guy, said, I'm not going to steal from my employer. He said, well, you know, how much you want? 10,000, 20,000, 30,000? Just give me, the, you give, me, give me all the addresses. Give me the code. Give me a copy of the software. And you know, nobody has to know. And, and he said, I'm not doing that. And he walked, he steamed out of the guy's shop. And I personally lost all respect for that person who did that. And then that person who asked for the Viper code knew a lot of people in General Motors all right and that is how he went into doing the calibrations on the engines that he built for corvettes and what have you so so that and you know so the list goes on and on so now if you come and you say and somebody says to you well i broke the code and i did this and like i said i'm really not gonna you know i'm not gonna really uh, whatever it's no no skin off my nose if you did or you didn't but the likelihood of you doing it and then as the vehicles and the engines got much more progressively advanced and the engine management systems got so much more advanced i'm talking this was 30 years ago when that stuff was simple all right all right there's no way in heck you may be breaking into the bank but you're not breaking into the actual calibration you got into the building you didn't get into the vault and then, so now, with the with the foreign cars, with most European cars, use either a Bosch or Siemens ECU. That is another company. I forgot what it is. So they'll have a generic, they'll have a generic language, and the same thing is happening with them. So you have these guys that are tuning these cars and these Porsches and these Ferraris and everything, and they're saying, "Oh, I broke the code." I right, you didn't break the code. All right. So the fact of the matter is, is that now to carry this one further is that so with the code without the addresses and identifying what is what this is the timing table this is this table this is that table is absolutely meaningless it would be like giving you a compass with no needle on it and no not identifying where is north and then it has no so which way is north which way is this it's absolutely useless so there are a, a myriad of companies out there right now that for almost any ECU that you want, whether it's a Siemens, with, I don't even think the American car companies manufacture their own ECUs anymore. All right, they used to back years ago. So a Ford ECU was, uh, I, I mean, they probably they design it, but they probably use the architecture 
from something else like either a Bosch or a Siemens or some generic thing. I mean, years ago, Delco was their own, Ford was their own, I don't know, the Chrysler was their own. So it would be like saying, well, the guy in the pizza place, he grows his own tomatoes and he milks his own cows and then he processes his own his own milk from his own cows into the own cheese and he also raises wheat, a special kind of wheat, and he harvests the wheat and he makes the wheat into the flour, which basically then he makes the pizza with and that's why his pizza is so good. If you, if you believe that, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I could sell you very, very inexpensively, all right? That is not happening. So there is a myriad of companies out there, and you could look it up, and there's for, 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 for domestic cars, for foreign cars, for Japanese cars. <clears throat> They're foreign too, I guess, right? But, uh, and you could buy, <clears throat> excuse me, these tuning softwares. And these tuning softwares, go with, they, you, you, they usually go into a laptop computer, and they sell you a cable, and they—I mean, they're not—I mean, they're not cheap to be six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars. All right, and they're usually application specific to a certain ECU to to a certain vehicle, and you historically through the OBD2 connector is you plug in there. <clears throat> excuse me. And what these softwares have done is, and then again, their whole <laughs> their whole basis. I guess I'm ruffling a lot of feathers here today. Their whole basis is somebody backdoored the original calibration tables, right? The language. We'll say that's probably the proper word to use. Backdoored the language. How they got it, I have no idea. And then what they'll basically do is that they'll, and they, I'm not saying these people, I'm not saying that they're dumb, but if you don't know, you could be the best safe cracker. That doesn't mean you're going to break into the most secure safe. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. And what they do is they take these tables and then they write a code for it so they have skills and they say, okay, these are the idle speed control tables. These are the boost tables and they put they put a label on them. When I worked for Axel Digital Fuel Injection, uh, our EEC, <clears throat> our EEC, uh, whatever, not EEC, what the heck was it, the Gen 6 ECU, all right, on Gen 7. Gen 7 ECU was basically a Ford EEC 4 system with 90% of the stuff out of there. But when when you when you had, we had a software called CalMap, it was dedicated to that ECU. You couldn't plug it into a Ford. You couldn't. So when you plugged in CalMap, you'd have a screen come up and you'd have a menu. Say, okay, I want the idle speed tables. And then it would have sort of metric, some sort of metric on the idle speed versus temperature versus this versus that. But that was the screen that they put on when they put everything like labeling a toolbox saying box end wrenches, all right, screwdrivers, ratchet wrenches here. That's what they basically did, all right? The thing is that they put those all and they put this label on it. But the if you were to go one step behind that, and I had the ability because I work with them to see what was the, the code that was behind them, you couldn't make out what it was for love or money. It was a bunch of X's and O's and numbers and what have you. But they 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 had ident they knew what that was, just like you know if you work in somebody say, Where 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 your where's your box? Your, your uh, short box and wrenches. Oh, it's a top box, third drawer down to the left. All right. So so they did this. So what I want to say to you is that when <clears throat> somebody says to you that they did this, they broke into this, they did this and that, I'm not degrading their their knowledge, I'm not degrading anything. 
but the, but it would be like saying, well, I started my own car company right from the scratch. How I did everything. I designed the car. I designed the body. I designed the assembly line. I did. I did. I, I designed the paint booth. I designed everything, and that really is not the case. And, and they're they're misleading the public because of that. And if you look at all, oh, they're misleading their customers. I'm not saying that they haven't spent time, money, and effort to tweak a calibration once they got in there. Just like I'm putting red pepper and oregano on my pizza, my wife is putting garlic and grated cheese on us to make it theirs but they by no way mean shape or form did they break into that ecu and if they did break into it they had a friend or a brother-in-law or a cousin or like happened to my friends from chrysler that somebody wanted to buy it from them and say eh, stick this out there you know just copy the program put it on a disc these are a floppy disc back then you know whatever ten thousand twenty thousand give me the addresses all right then i'll take it from there nobody has to know i mean so and the funny part about it is that the first gentleman i said with the fiat did the, the hero calibration he said and then he did uh like i said he was a calibration engineer for general motors and then uh what had happened was that he retired they had an early buyout program he retired and uh and then he had friends there and they had other people came so i got a zero one so he had all of this that well the way did he, i don't want to talk badly about him because this wouldn't be right well i guess it was on his computer when he left we'll put it that way okay when he retired so he and nobody had zr1 code back then when the zr1 came out so he had zr1 code because he was involved in that project also so he knew he knew what to do with that code because when the, when the manufacturer sends out a calibration it's got to meet emission standards fuel economy standards it's got to meet a whole bunch of things reliability standards and what have you so he knew what to do to tweak that calibration because he knew when he did the calibration when he was employed where he left the power on the table all right so he knew that it wasn't any great mystery he knew that so the thing basically is that uh he so he did so he 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 had he had a really nice zr1 tune if you want to call it a tune and then what had happened was that he did it for somebody and the same thing happened now there was about 10 different people some were companies and some were people say oh no no i broke the code you buy you could buy a calibration for me for a thousand dollars right and uh and they uh was they copied his calibration and everybody was selling the same calibration claiming it was theirs and there was this one there was a club called i actually was one of the first people i wrote for it's called the zr1 registry and i wrote for them and i remember they had a chip shootout they had five or six different zr1 calibrations and uh they were going to do a chip shootout at the drag strip and uh, on the road and fuel economy what have you and this guy Joe, which was not his name, called me up. He says, "You write for them, right?" So I said, "Yeah." He says, "You want to know something? Those are all my calibration." He says, "You could read that code and put it, overlay it." He says, "They that the, they got six or seven and tell you this one is better." He says, "It's exactly the same calibration." He says those people stole it from the thief, and then they stole it and stole it and stole it, and they're calling it their their is theirs. So the thing basically is is that 
if you look in a lot of people with diesel pickup trucks, a lot of people with performance cars, I'm not against the calibration. And I'm not saying that somebody didn't make their pizza better than the other guy, all right, or tastier or used a little bit more sauce or used a better sauce or they have a better oven, they get a brick oven or a wood oven or whatever to make pizza to give it a different taste. But the fact of the matter is that whether you're looking for a tuna for your diesel engine, you're looking for a tuna for your for your uh, John Deere tractor, you're looking for a tuna for your gasoline engine, or what have you, the fact of the matter is all of that, without question, started with somebody who had an inside connection. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Of course, I'm honest with you. I'm not going to say that everybody's a thief and everybody stole it. So in other words, <clears throat> if I work for whatever, company XYZ, all right, and then I leave company XYZ and go to company ABC, all right, then I bring that knowledge with me, all right? So I bring it with me, and it's not against the law, it's not illegal, and they say, well, okay, you worked for XYZ. What did they do over there? Oh, no, I know what they did. We did this. We just like I did <clears throat> calibration evaluations. I did not do calibrations. I did calibrations, but not for BMW. I was hired to evaluate calibrations and to be involved. I never saw the code. They would never give me the code. I would tell them what I didn't like about the calibration. I would critique it, and I would ask them to go, and then I'd ask them. I said, well, this is what I would do, and I said, look, I don't know what you're calling this table, but I know you got a table in there that does this. This is where you need to go and tweak this because that's where your problem is in that algorithm. And But I never saw the code, and they didn't even have it here in the States. They would send it back to Germany. They would do it all over the, over the computer. But anyway, so the thing basically is is that so, I, so you know, when you leave one company and go to another, is that you're, you're not, it's not corporate espionage. You have it in your head. Well, this is what we used to do, and that's why lots of times companies will have non-compete agreements, all right, but that's usually for somebody who is a principal. And uh, so in the company, says, well, look, I'm selling, I'm selling my company to, 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 to Joe Blow, and uh, I don't want you, I don't, I, Joe Blow doesn't want you going six months from now and going into business and, and doing the same thing over again and competing with the, the company you just sold them. But it's impossible for you to have a non-compete agreement with an employee. So, you know, if I, if, if when I worked at Allen Test Products, all right, the thing basically is, is that if I went to go work for Sun Electric, the after that which i never did i'm just saying i guess well this is the way we did it at allen we did it so this is the problems we had i mean that's <clears throat> that's knowledge an employee has that's not thing i mean and and uh and just like if you bring an employee into your business whether it's a farm whether it's an engine shop whether it's a print shop and you are teaching them all right then the thing is that when they choose to leave you or you get rid of them one or the other is that you can't take that you can't take a big syringe and suck that knowledge out of your head and say well ray used to do it this way all right and i've had that happen with me in my little shop precise automotive i had people come to me i taught them and it happens with every business you teach them you show them how what you've developed you show them how you do it this way we do it all right because you're an employee i want you to be able to do it this way and then they leave and they take that knowledge with them and they either open up their own shop and do it the same way you did it or or tweak it a little bit or, or go to a competitor and say well, this is the way ray used to do it <clears throat> so the thing is that somebody can listen to this podcast i was not an employee because i'm going to do a podcast i'm going to do a podcast 
but uh, like I'm going to do a podcast like right not that you would want to but you can't stop that and I remember even when I got my first book deal which is a demon carburetor book or near out of business demon what they said to me was that hey look at this Holly book and just do the same thing and I said well no I said, I'm not going to do that because uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that he said, "I'm going to look at the Holly book. I'm going to read the Holly book. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to identify what I like about the Holly book. I'm going to identify what I don't like about the Holly Holly book, and then I'm going to add because I think there's a lot of things that are missing in that Holly book. So I want to add other things in there that the Holly book does not have. And I won't say who wrote the Holly book. The, the book was not written by Holly. It was written by an author like me. But uh, it was excellent, excellent book. But there were things that I felt were lacking on it, and I wanted to make my book. So I so used that as a model to... to uh, and because it's it's there now it exists and my book doesn't exist so just keep that in mind and then when you look at a calibration and then also keep in mind that specifically on the diesel side of the equation is that you know with pickup trucks and what have you um you know they're very easy to blow up <laughs> so i'm not saying that don't put a calibration in it but if you want to play it safe put in put it in from a known company a well-known company there's a lot of them out there uh and do like a towing calibration or something and what that's basically going to do is give you probably 30 or 40 percent of the power that the oe guy left on the table just to make it so you could put this sucker to the floor for 3,000 miles and never shut it off and you're not going to hurt it. All right, so you're putting it more near the ragged edge, all right, but you're not on the ragged edge. Anything that's these killer cows, and that's what we call them, killer calibrations, they're right on the ragged edge, man. Something happens, you that engine hiccups, you're taking a ring lane off of it, you're, you're throwing a rod out the side of the block or what have you. On a boosted application where it's gasoline or diesel, all right, same thing. You know, everything, most, almost every engine is probably between 5 and 15% below peak power. And then also keep in mind that with drive-by wire, lots of times these calibrations aren't even making any more power. What they're basically doing is they're taking the the throttle control on the drive-by wire calibration and they're making it more aggressive. Uh, so you're pressing on the throttle and you have it to the floor, right? But on the way to the throttle, it's having the electric motor open up the throttle plates quicker at a different rate than it would normally. And then also on a lot of the OE calibrations, what they basically do when they drive by wire gasoline or diesel, you mat it, right? It allows the throttle to be open. Let's say, whatever, I'm going to make up a number for 15 seconds, right? After 15 seconds, even you're pushing so hard, you're pushing through the floorboards. It's actually closing the throttle a little bit. And that's a real simple way to give a, an engine from stop it from blowing up you think it's to the floor right you're pushing like hell it was to the floor 15 seconds ago and then whereas now it closed the throttle 10 or 15 percent or whatever the number may be whatever they they wanted they wanted that they felt the engine was safe so it gives you that rush all right and most people who buy these buy a calibration whether it's for uh, a sports car whether it's a pickup truck or whatever they're just going to get the quick hit with it 
And they think, and, and yeah, they got the quick hit because they opened the throttle more. They put a more aggressive calibration. They may have used like on, on a on a on a farm tractor or a lot of farm. They call it a power bulge or whatever. Would even like I was talking to my friend Gene today, and he's got a uh, a bunch of cars. But he's got a Focus, uh, the, whatever they're going SVT, whatever they call it. And uh, he says it's got you know it's got a uh, an overboost for a few seconds. So it'll go to twenty five pounds overboost and it pulls it up, pulls it back. So lots of times what these people do is they'll go in there and they'll take that. So instead of leaving it for fifteen seconds, they'll go and they'll bring it in sooner and leave it for twenty two seconds. All right. So if you so the thing is that but there's a lot of tricks that you could play and I'm not saying anything I'm not implying that anyone is deceitful I'm not implying anything whatsoever but I just want you to know that that the calibrations are usually rooted in somebody taking the software out the back door in some way shape or form or even sometimes selling the dyno calibrations from the manufacturer so i mean all of the uh, most of the calibration engineers are good guys on uh, car guys even in the tractors i mean i don't know so much about the tractor guys but the usually car guys and they'll no 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 no. we had this we had this thing on the dyno man this thing is killer this is killer but we 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 had to dial it back 10 percent. we couldn't get through emissions i mean volkswagen did that with their diesels but they didn't do it for power all right they were they had the they had the calibration to get better fuel economy and they got caught all right, so that calibration existed. Did some company XYB do that calibration? No, that came right from the OE manufacturer. So, so just like I, you know, you could buy whatever XYZ Pioneer brand corn seed. All right, and then the way you treat that seed, the way you, the way you uh, manage that seed, then you become a high yield farmer. Is does that seed have more potential yield than another brand? Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea, but that's what that guy likes. And the same thing is, but. I, I I've had a number of people ask me questions about calibrations, maybe not to that level. And I wanted to share with you the story of how the calibration, at least on General Motors, and everything began, and that was the precursor to everything. And uh, a friend of mine has a shop. All right, he's got some connections with Ford. We'll leave it at that. He got friendly with the guy. He says, "Hey, you got this engine?" He says, "You know what you're doing with calibration. I'll send you everything." He says, I'll, 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 he says, I'll send you everything. I'll tell you. So I can't send it. And then this is the kind of cable, make it up to go in there. Here's the pinouts and here's the code and here's the addresses. Have fun, <laughs> you know? So, so like I say, is that it's a complicated world. It's complicated. Engines are complicated. Calibrations are extremely complicated. Computers are complicated. Camshafts are complicated, Right so the fact of the matter is is that is that there's not one person who's going to be able you may have a guy who's a great machinist you may have a guy who's a great hacker but he could say to you just like you know when i when i and i'll use myself as example because i'm neither one of those but i knew what the car wanted and that's why bmw had me doing that i knew what it wanted all right i didn't know their ecu i didn't know how to navigate their ECU, and they had a bosch ecu i think it was a bosch or a siemens they didn't know um uh 
you know, what it is. And you could buy, you have, you have a BMW, you could buy a calibration software for it and it give you access to the tables. Like I said, to most of the tables, it's not really what the manufacturer sees, they're what they want you to see uh, and makes it easier and puts it in a common language. Okay, here's the VE table. You want an idle speed, you want 800, punch in 800, here it goes. So they kind of dumbed it down. But that's all available. But like I said, I knew what the engine wanted and I used to always say to them, well, with my background, it needs. It, this is where, in the tables I'm familiar with, this is what they would call it. I don't want to know what you call it. That's where you got to go. And the thing basically is, is that, so, I, you know, it's the rest of the story. You won't hear it from anybody else, but, but here, but this world is not full of the automotive and farm tractor industry is not full of hackers uh, that could get that level. There are people who've hacked stuff to a certain level but hacking to a certain level and so getting into the bank and then getting into the safe and then emptying out the safe or the vault is a completely completely different different animal and for most for most for most instances especially today with obd2 tier 4 is that you will never ever ever be able to break into that level until somebody comes there from the inside and says okay shh, come on i'll unlock the vault you got 10 minutes get in there get what you want and get out so listen hopefully suka put the show together where i messed up and stopped it and if you're listening to it it did happen so i want to thank you so much you have a blessed blessed day and i want you to know the hot rod farmer's poem for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america thank you and take care bye bye